Jesus was in Bethlehem, and he ascended in the cloud. And the disciples were just watch, watching them with their minds blowing, right? And then these two men, their angels, appeared beside them. They're, they're like, why are you looking up the same way he ascended, he will descend on the cloud? So one of Jesus' names, you look in Deuteronomy 33, all throughout the Old Testament, one of Jesus' names from the scriptures, the cloud bearer. Because he's the one that rises in the clouds. And Mount, at Mount Sinai, he revealed himself in the cloud bearer. In the desert, he led them with the pillar of fire and the cloud. So he's the cloud bearer. And that was actually a, a slap in the face of all the other, of many of the other religions in that area because Baal was supposed to be the storm rider. Baal never rode a cloud. Poem, which is where we get the word poem from. So you can read that we are God's poem. 
his, master, his masterpiece poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So you're God's masterpiece. I want you to repeat after me because these are, these are three truths that I believe God just wants to reverberate from within inside of us. Repeat after me and say this, say, Jesus loves me. Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And sometimes when we talk about Jesus coming back, if we don't know the scriptures, you're, we're going to make things up about it. And it might be scary, or you just don't want to, or you might think, you know, you've heard it. Revelation's confusing. All these end time scriptures are confusing. And it's, it's not if you just kind of take the time to read it. And, and study it. And in some parts there's symbolism and some parts are not. But it's there's 150 chapters in the Bible about the end times. There's so much of Isaiah, the Psalms. It's not about when Jesus came the first time, it's about his, his second coming. And so I want to talk about the, the woven symbolism of the Mount of Olives. So like I said, when Jesus returns, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and it's going to be split in two. Later on in Zechariah chapter 14, it says, on that day, on that day, he splits the mountain. This is good news. The Lord will become king over the whole earth. Somebody say amen. amen. Y'all heard me say this many times, but we're longing, the whole earth is longing for a good king. The nations, they are longing for a good king. Somebody to lead. Who's going to do what's just, who's going to do what's right. By everybody. It says he will rule over the whole earth in that day. The Lord alone. His name alone. You read further down in Zechariah. And it says the horses are going to have like these necklaces that say Jesus is king. I mean it's like it's and there's been revivals in history, like in Guatemala. There's a city that was totally transformed in revival. And when the spirit starts moving, it's like this, this type of thing starts happening. They, they were having supernatural harvests. It was an agricultural community. And, and people started getting saved, started giving their lives to God, started giving their businesses to God. And they had, during their harvest time of when they would normally receive one harvest, they got three harvests. And their fruit was huge. It was supernatural. It was like promised fruit. But on their buses and on their tractors, they have Jesus is King, Jesus is King. And this is the same kind of picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. Secondly, David, he worshipped God on, on the summit of the Mount of Olives in the moment of his betrayal from his son Absalom. Now another name of, of Jesus is he is the son of David. And so God made David a promise. He said, because of your love for me, because of the way you gave your heart to me, I'm going to make you a promise. You will always have a son on the throne forever. You will always have a son on the throne. And that day, that was the greatest news you could ever give a father. Because they don't think they didn't think uh, just here and now. They had a much more multi-generational way of thinking. Abraham, when God told him, I'm 
of the sand and the stars of the sky. Abraham didn't think that he was going to see that many people in his day. He was like, my son's going to see that. My son's going to see that. And so David, having that with, with that father's heart that he had, he, he's like, I'm going to have a son always on the throne. And what a promise. And he even told God, he's like, who am I that he would give this to me? I don't deserve this. And so when you read Matthew, or yeah, when you read Matthew, Jesus is a direct descendant of David. He's a son of David. And when there was a, a blind man that cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he was basically saying to Jesus, I know you're the Messiah. I know you can heal me. When he said, Son of David, because he recognizes that you're the right for heir to the throne. You're the king. And the thing is, Jesus just wasn't, he wasn't Solomon, he wasn't absolutely, he wasn't any of David's sons. And that man, he was the son of David through natural means, but he was the son of God. He was the son of God. So David, he worshipped when, now his son Absalom, when, when Solomon was being made ready to become king and take over for David, Absalom instigated a rebellion. He sat in the city gates and, he, and anybody that was, was coming in to see the king for judgment, he said, hey, listen, the king's really busy. Let me judge for you. And so Absalom started deciding and making judgments on behalf of the people before they even got to David. And so he started getting, he, he, he got a gathering that way. People rallied around him. He's like, man, Absalom's a pretty good, pretty good guy. And then he goes and takes over one of the cities in, in Judah. And David's an old man at this point. And David, he actually tells he and all of his inner circle, he's like, we gotta get out of here. Absalom's gonna come, he's gonna, he's gonna kill us. And so Mount, the Mount of Olives was east of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where David's throne was. And he went and said, David right here in 2 Samuel 15, verse 32, said David came to the summit where he used to worship God. Hushai the archive was there to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. So David went in this moment of betrayal to humble himself before God with tears, with dust on his head and humility with his robe torn in the moment of his betrayal. Jesus likewise, like, this, like David, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane means olive press. Mount of Olives was called that because there's a bunch of olive trees there. And so Jesus, in the moment of his betrayal, where Judas betrays him, wanted somebody that was like a, a brother, like a son to him, one of people really close to him, betrayed him. In that moment is where Jesus was sweating blood crying tears. And it said he was almost overcome. His grief was so heavy that he, it was almost like he was about to die in that moment. And so Jesus, he, it says in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed. And I believe that Jesus paid for everything. In the garden, I believe that he was paying for emotional torment, spiritual torment. That that's where he paid for, for inner healing. And then on the cross,
cross is where he paid for physical healing. But he paid for it all. And so Jesus, that's where he would go to pray and spend the nights there. But he came to the Mount of Olives before he entered Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. So Matthew chapter 21 says, When they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent two disciples, and he sent them into the city, saying, Go make preparations for the Passover meal, the, the, the Last Supper. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives when he revealed to his disciples the signs of the end of the age. Matthew 24, Jesus sits them down and gives them some hard news. <laughs> he's giving, because the disciples had this, this idea that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and become like David, the actual physical king. Except they just got the timing wrong. That's the second coming. Where he will rule from Jerusalem over the whole earth. They just didn't know about what had to happen the first time. I didn't know about the cross. And so, in Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus goes and reveals all of those things to him. To them. Jesus would also spend his nights in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Luke chapter 21 says during the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what's called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. So this was Jesus' routine in Jerusalem. Go to the temple and teach, heal, perform miracles. At night, go to the Mount of Olives, pray, rest, be with the Father, be with his disciples. Next day, go back to the temple. Preach, minister at night, go to the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives was Jesus' secret place. It was his secret place. It was his where he had his devotionals, if you want to put it kind of in our land starts. It was his it was his prayer closet. However you want to, whatever you want to call it. And that's where Jesus went to be alone with the Father. And out of that place on the Mount of Olives. He went to the temple, he went to Jerusalem, and he ministered out of the overflow, out of the olive press, out of the anointing oil that was made on the Mount of Olives. In John chapter 7, it says that, talking about the disciples, each one went to his, or his house, excuse me, the Pharisees, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. This was Jesus' home base. So Jesus, it, it was a special place for him. Now like I said before, the Garden of Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives, and this is where, as many of us know, Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion. Matthew 26, verse 30 says we, we, that we find that after celebrating the Passover and instituting the Lord's Supper, where he says, when you take this, this is I want you to do something new. I want, I don't, I want you to think of, not only about the Exodus, but I want you to think about me because I'm about to free you from the, the bondage of sin. Just like you're in the bondage of the Pharaoh, I'm about to free you from the bondage of sin. So when you think about the Exodus, think about me. And 
and served. He instituted the Last Supper. Then they went to the Mount of Olives and they prayed. Luke chapter 22 says, He went out and made his way as usual, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is a, actually a key sentence into developing intimacy with the Lord. Because the Lord wants you to be honest with Him. He wants you to share like, what you're actually feeling. But he also, Jesus adds a but to the end of the sentence. <laughs> He's like, Father, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But, your will be done. Not my will. And so many times, if you're, if you're in a tough place, you're in a winter season, desert, however you want to call it, or just in a hard place, you tell the Lord, you can say that exact same thing to God, this is what I'd like to see happen, but not my will, yours be done. <laughs> because we don't know everything. And as a father, trusting God as our father, we, we trust that he's going to lead us well. It's like I, I tell our kids all the time, you know, it's like, hey, will you do this? And in, the, in that moment, I can't explain, I can't go into a 15-minute explanation of why I'm asking them to do this. Maybe later I can, but in that moment, I said, I just need you to do this. And, I, and I've said this, just, just trust me. Just trust me. And so many times, the Father does that with us, where he's just like, listen, I, I might explain this to you later, but right now, I just need you to trust me. Just do what I, just do what I say, trust me. He said, Father, your will be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening Jesus. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. I've, I've been in that place before where you're just like grieving, and it's like, I just want to go to bed. But I can't. I need to let my mind rest. This is where the disciples were at. They, because Jesus just told them, I'm going to be crucified. And the, the world is shattered. And so, they're exhausted from grief. Jesus says, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so you won't fall into temptation the second time. Jesus was very likely crucified on the Mount of Olives. And so Matthew 27, verse 33 says, Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha, which means place of the story. Anytime I hear Golgotha, I hear it always say, Golgotha. But it means a place of the story. And so while some have tried to find that hill around Jerusalem, that they try to find a, a hill that looks like a skull, but they can't. But they're like, well, it's called the place of the skull. What hill looks like a skull around here? Well, this was, this is something I discovered 
studying for this, and it's just it's one of those things. It's like the Passover Seder connections. So Golgotha is a contradiction of Goliath or Gath, which was the, the name of Goliath that David slew. He was Goliath from Gath. So Golgotha is like a you know a southerner saying there's two names together. It's just kind of blended in together. Go, go rough. And so in 1 Samuel 17, 54, when David slew Goliath, it says he took the head of Goliath to Jerusalem. But since Jerusalem was to be a holy city, you can't bring a dead corpse inside of Jerusalem. And so it had to be someplace outside of Jerusalem. And so the Mount of Olives was where Jesus was crucified. So the Mount of Olives is also Golgotha. It's the place of the skulls. It's the place where Goliath's head was buried. And so you have David who cut the head off the giant brought the head to Golgotha the Mount of Olives. And then what did Jesus do on the cross? He cut the head off the giant, the devil. And he crushed it. In Genesis 3, there's the scripture, the prophecy. It's the first prophecy of the Messiah that God's speaking to Eve. He says, listen, you're, you're going to have a son. And that son, his heel will be bitten by the serpent, but his heel will crush his head. His heel will crush the serpent's head. And so Golgotha at that place where Goliath's head is buried is where Jesus crushed the skull of the devil and is finished. It's final. And the 1st Corinthians says, if the rulers and authorities, not only meaning the religious authorities, but meaning the powers of the air, the, the evil spirits, the devil, if they had understood the mystery of God, they would have never crucified the King of Glory. Because the way God works is like what Psalm 37 says, one of my favorite scriptures. It says that the sword of the enemy raises up against you will enter his own heart. Everything the devil does, Jesus can cause backfire. And so on that day, so Jesus let the devil slit his own throat. And he crushed the head of the devil. Romans 16 20 says that the God of peace crushed Satan under your feet. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Peace is a weapon of warfare in the kingdom. Peace crushes Satan's plans, it crushes his spirit when you're at peace, no matter what. Because imagine. If he's throwing everything he can and you're sick of peace, how disturbing is that for him? And that's the place that God wants us to live in. And we're, we're works in progress. Don't get discouraged because you're not at perfect peace all the time. Just reset. Just be like, all right, I got out of peace right there. All right, I'm stepping back into it. Just reset. It says a righteous man in Proverbs falls seven times. He gets back up. So you know what righteousness is? Just get back up. Just get back up and just try again.
First Corinthians 15 says, Where of death is your victory and where of death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Now when Jesus was being crucified, the veil of the temple was, was ripped in half from the top of the mountain. And, and so it's believed that because this, the Mount of Olives was east and the centurion could see, could see the temple and he saw what was happening and he had said that he was standing east that they believed that the Mount of Olives was also um, where Jesus was crucified as a result of that. So what is our, what are, is our takeaways this morning? The first takeaway is God is sovereign over the affairs of the earth without violating the free will of man. God is sovereign over the affairs of the earth without violating your choice, my choice, everybody else's choice. And I tell people, I had a client who's not a believer, ask me, he's like, I don't, he says, I get stuck on what God's will is. Is that God's will for me to, you know, for example, bench 135 pounds, or is it God's will for me to bench 155 pounds? And I said, well, I said, God's will isn't the only thing on the table. You have a will. The devil has a will. And that's why Jesus said, pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will, Father, be done. The devil has a will for your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy our name. We have a will. We can choose to sin. Jesus has a will. The Father has a will. Abundant life. Eternal life. So the, the way God works over the affairs of the earth is he allowed Jesus to be crucified. And it became that it was the darkest hour of human history and it was also the most triumphant hour of human history. God wins with any hand. Don't play broke with God from You'll have a royal flesh, you'll have a pair of tears, you'll still lose. Both David and Jesus worshipped and prayed on the Mount of Olives. Why is this important to remember? It's important to remember that Jesus is down to the letter. is fulfilling the prophecies, fulfilling the word of God. And that he is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. And like I said, Gethsemane is called the oil press because the anointing oil is found in the place of prayer and worship. Your worship matters to God. Your personal worship, your sacrifice of thanksgiving, when you get up and you're tired and you get outlookers and nutcrackers and all that kind of stuff and you still open your lips and say, thank you God that I have another day. Thank you for giving me breath. Thank you, I get to share your love today and I get to receive your love. When, when, that's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's not dependent upon our emotions. And when Jesus was pressed, sweating blood and experiencing overwhelming grief and dread, God strengthened him. And so it's in that place. You know, sometimes I hear people talk about you know, wanting the anointing and things like that. 
The anointing is found in all of us. It's found in the place of being refined, purified, and letting God deal with our hearts. In that place of repentance, because Jesus said, what in the kingdom of heaven is at is hand? Repent, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if you're in the olive press right now, if you're in a pressing season that's hard, just thank the Lord that he's giving you more oil in your life right now. It's like, God, you're releasing more oil in my life right now in this pressing time. Third, Jesus is the skull crusher. So just as David, weak, a teenage shepherd boy, weak in comparison to Goliath, wielded a sling and stung by faith, so Jesus, in his weakness, defeated death and sin. And so Jesus has another foe that he's going to triumph over in the last days. It's not just the devil, but it's also the, the Antichrist. And then Jesus, he's going to come. He's coming again. He's coming and triumphant. And so I, I love talking about this. So when Je I just want to give you a picture of what the scriptures say. When Jesus comes, it says, every eye will see him. He'll be riding in the clouds. And the armies of heaven will be following him. He'll be dressed in a robe dipped in blood and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And so he's coming to destroy his enemies. I've got good news. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're no longer his enemy. Because he said, he paid, he, while, we were, he, while we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. So Jesus turns the enemies into friends, but he's going to appear in the clouds and all the earth will see him. And he's going to come up from Edom, which is like the southern desert below Judah, or Judea, southern Israel. And he's going to march to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, there's going to be a coalition of like an antichrist army. And he's going to slay them. You read Isaiah 63, it says, Who is this coming up out of Eden, dressed in robes, dipped in blood? Isaiah 63 saying the exact same thing that Revelation 19 is. So Jesus is actually going to literally slay his enemies. Because this is, the, this is the age of grace and mercy. And this is the time we need to respond. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. There's coming a day where it will be like too late. It'll be too late for his enemies. And he's going to slay them. And it even says that the blood will rise as high as the, the girdle on a horse. Like waist high. And he's coming into Jerusalem. And he will march into Jerusalem, stand on the Mount of Olives. It will split. And he's going to come back and take his throne. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem in righteousness and peace and joy. And when, when I talk about that picture of Jesus slaying his enemies and it's bloody and it's glory, guess what the cross was? It was bloody. It was gory. And Jesus, it's the, 
sin. Jesus either pays the price for your sin or you do. But the price of sin is death and it's bloody and it's glory. So you let either Jesus pay the price for you or you pay the price. And that's simply what the Bible says about it. And so if there is anyone here this morning and you, you know, first of all, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, today's the day to really give your heart to Jesus. Sometimes we can go to a life through church and not actually know, know Jesus. But he is he's good and he's merciful. He's kind. He just, he's vicious against his enemies. And he's good and he's gentle and a good shepherd for those that are in this family. But today's the day to give your life to Jesus and surrender everything to him. I did that. I played the one foot in the world, one foot in, in church, and Jesus came for a long time. And he until he said, I'm not going to give you any freedom until you give me all of you. Was when I understood what it meant to follow Jesus in like a split second. like a lightning bolt struck me. And I understood. I knew what it meant to follow Jesus. And there's no, I'll, I'll do what I want to on this day, and I'll do what Jesus wants me to on this day. It's a hard surrender 24-7, every day of the week. And the commandments of God are not burdens in 1 John 5. It's a, it's a joy. There's peace there. There's victory and there's freedom. But it does cost you something. It costs you your life. Your life in exchange for Jesus' life. That's a good trade-off. Because you're going straight to the pit of hell apart from Jesus. I'm going here. But with Jesus, I get his life. Alright? I get his life. So we're going to worship one more song. If we have our, our ministry teams, we'll come over here to the side. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, or just surrender. Just say, I need a deeper level of surrender in my life. And why don't you pray with either me or one of our ministry team leaders over here as we worship uh, to a few more songs.